Joseph Gallagher is a member of this congregation. He is the son of Jeff and Kathy, and Joseph Gallagher is currently a seminary student at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. In an assignment for one of his seminary classes, he had to interview some children about God, especially younger children. And Joseph knows that Ginger and I have grandchildren in Atlanta, a grandson in particular. So he got connected with our four-year-old grandson for the interview. And it went like this. Joseph says, why do you think you go to church? Our grandson, for the snacks after church. (laughs) Joseph says, is Jesus God? Ha, no, he's littler than God. What does Jesus look like? It's a secret. (laughs) And then when Joseph asked him about heaven, he said, Only big people go to heaven, like Clarence, and that would be Bruce Springsteen's saxophone player. (laughs) We are all, all of us, we are all, all of us, on this journey of trying to figure out who God is and who Jesus is and how they're related And what this means for our lives, in fact, what it means for the whole world. And can we find life? And can we find eternal life? We've heard one passage already today, some very important words that Steve read that have become really the bedrock of our faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. By grace through faith... It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, and we are what God has made us to be, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which is to be our way of life. That passage has indeed become somewhat of the bedrock of our faith. Our second lesson today also offers some important words, also something of the bedrock of our faith, because included in this passage from John 3 is perhaps uh, the best known verse in all of scripture from John 3:16 which we've seen on placards and on billboards and in stadiums but let's not get ahead of ourselves listen to the whole passage John 3:14 through 21 Just as Jesus lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light 
so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the evangelist, John, this gospel writer, keeps wanting us to understand who God is and who Jesus is and how they're related and what this means for our lives and what this might mean, indeed, for the whole world. The evangelist, the writer of this gospel, John, started out this gospel with some wonderful poetry. Poetry that goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God And the Word came into being, became flesh, and lived among us. And then, as the gospel story unfolds, that poetry shifts to people. Because right following the poetry, there's John in the wilderness, and people are asking questions, Are you the Messiah? And the next day, John describes Jesus' baptism, and he's pointing to Jesus, saying, That's the Messiah. And then the next day, Jesus begins encountering people, engaging with disciples and inviting them to follow. And then there's this wedding feast, this moment when Jesus turns water into wine. And then next, the evangelist John gives us this story that Catherine preached about last week where Jesus actually gets angry and gets our attention and cleanses the temple. And then we have the... uh, what follows in chapter 3, and then we come to these verses right in the middle of chapter 3, and all of this is trying to help us know about God and who is Jesus and how are they related. The eternal word has become flesh and lives among us, and all of this, and it keeps on going throughout the whole gospel, wants to show us what God is about and who is Jesus and what this means for our lives, indeed, what it means for the whole world. So we have this opening line in our passage. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So wait, I think we better back up a little bit. What's going on here? Moses, you recall, is a prominent figure way earlier in the Bible. In the second book of the Bible, Exodus, Moses in a very remarkable story, is called by God to lead God's people from a very bad place to a better place, from life in slavery in Egypt to what God promises as the promised land, a better place. And Moses is this very important person because he takes on this monstrous task and he offers amazing leadership because it's a very long way from a bad place to a better place in this story especially in time and in difficulty it's a very long way and Moses Moses gives inspiring and faithful leadership to the people of God and along this way this difficult way there's another remarkable story and it's recorded in Numbers which is the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 21, on the way from slavery to the promised land, there were lots of setbacks and there were lots of challenges and there were lots of problems. And one of the problems was that uh, the people were constantly grumbling and complaining against Moses and against his leadership 
Did he lead them out of slavery into the wilderness just so they could die? They keep asking this. Are you going to kill us on this journey? He promised them so much, but it was so hard, this journey from a bad place to a better place. So the people became impatient. And then Moses spoke against the uh, the. Uh, the people spoke against Moses, and the people spoke against God. Why are you doing this to us? Why are you bringing us to this place with no water and no decent food? So the Lord, to punish the people for their grumbling and their impatience, the Lord sent poisonous snakes, and they bit the people, and many of them died. It was punishment for their grumbling. What if God sent poisonous snakes to bite us for our grumbling? But, but God gave Moses a remedy, a remedy to stop the snakes from biting and to stop the grumbling. Moses was to take some bronze and mold it into a snake and put the bronze snake on a pole and hold it up for the people to look at. Anyone who looked at the serpent on the pole would quit grumbling and not be bitten and live. That's what happened in the story. This is why the serpent on a pole, even to this day, reminds a sign of healing. It's an emblem for many medical organizations around the world. They simply took this story and this image. The snake on a pole means healing and life. So John the Evangelist picks up on this ancient story and picks up on this image and says, just as Moses lifted up the snake on the pole and people lived, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's the message. Here's the point. Humankind is overwhelmed with deadly worries. Humankind is dealing with greed and selfishness and power struggles everywhere. Humankind is so often lost in worry and threats and despair and grumbling. And the only source is to focus on the Son of Man. The Word became flesh. This one, this Jesus, we find life through Him. We find purpose through Him. We find eternal life here. The Word in the text The way to find this life, eternal life, is the Greek word pistis or pistio, which means believe. Translated into English, believe, as in whoever believes in him will have life. Whoever believes in him may not perish, but have life, as it says in the very next verse, John 3.16. Some of us here may be very sure what we believe. Some of us here may stand up and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and we stand right there. Or we stand up, as we did a moment ago, and we say, in life and in death, we belong to God, whom alone we worship and serve. And we keep saying that because it's part of who we are, and we're sure of what we believe. And certainly, we want to believe so we don't perish but have life. But as my four-year-old grandson helps us all appreciate 
many of us aren't sure what we believe. And sometimes we believe it strongly, and other times we flounder and we doubt or hardly believe at all. Sometimes we can be confident and, and we know God's with us, and other days we are covered up with fretting and worries and anxiety and even despair. We may wonder, even, is God real? What's going on here? How do we get out of this mess? What do I believe? You ever ask that? This is why I like the phrase from the man who was so desperate and ran up to Jesus looking for help and relief and says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The call to believe is always a work in progress. It's always a journey. You may, heard, you may have heard the name of John Patton. He was a Scottish preacher and missionary in mostly spending his whole life in the South Pacific in the New Hebrides Islands. One of his projects there was to translate the New Testament to the indigenous language of the people in the New Hebrides. But there was a snag. There was no word for believe in their language. And the word believe is mentioned 90 times in John and 241 times in the New Testament. So this is a problem. This is important. How do you translate believe? In the midst of working on his translation, one of the natives came into his study where he was working and sat down over a chair, actually draped himself over one of the chairs. He put his leg out over another chair and his arm leaning back and so relaxed, he commented on how good it felt to lean his whole weight on those chairs. And Patton knew immediately that he had the word for believe. Lean your whole weight on. That's what it means. He was sure. This is what Jesus keeps trying to help us with. He doesn't want our casual interest. Jesus doesn't want our admiration. Jesus doesn't want us to simply stand up and recite words, especially if the words don't take root in our hearts. He doesn't want us to just say certain things and try to be confident and assertive with certitude when we're not really sure. That's not what he, want, what he wants. No, Jesus keeps speaking and Jesus keeps acting and Jesus keeps healing and teaching and revealing God so that we might entrust our whole selves, lean with all our weight onto him. And then we will be changed, changed to be disciples, changed from being selfless to serving, changed from being anxious to confident and courageous, changed from being fretting and lost to disciples who know about God and participate with God in God's redeeming work in the world. What Jesus is looking for is our heart and soul and mind and strength, as he says in other places, what Jesus is looking for is our loyalty and our loves 
and it may mean coming in conflict with our family or our culture or our American constitution sometimes in order to be about the kind of things Jesus calls us to be about in order to find life, eternal life. Whoever believes, whoever leans with their whole weight, life, eternal life, Jesus says. And here's something else that's really important about this passage. Every place, every place where John the evangelist speaks about life with or without the adjective eternal, with or without it, every space He's speaking about life as a present state of being. It's not about the future. It may include the future, but it's really about a present state of reality. We don't exist so we can believe, meaning mental assent or just give some affirmation to some set of ideas so we can have some immortal bliss later. That's not the point. We are meant to lean with all our weight, give our lives to Jesus, entrust ourselves to this one, the Word made flesh. Then we have life, and it's life now and life always, because once you have life, it's forever. We discover what life is really about. It's not about selfish pursuit, but about selfless service. It's not about being happy only. It's about finding wholeness and purpose. And that comes as we worship and we serve God and serve God's people. It's not about wealth. It's not about power, but about the coming reign of God where wealth is spread to everyone, where justice happens for all, not just a few people. That's life. Where grace is prevalent, where peace prevails, that's life, not the chaos that can so often surround us. Lean fully into Jesus, he says, and then you find eternal life. It's about life now because it transforms our now, and it's about God's life, and it's about good life, and it never ends. It's about life eternal. It just keeps going because it leads us to the reign of God. That's where it carries us, and this is all what Jesus keeps helping us understand. And then the passage continues to this oh-so-familiar verse, John 3.16. You know it, but listen to this very interesting and fantastic translation from scholar and theologian Dale Bruner. John 3.16. You see, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that every single individual, whoever, who is simply entrusting oneself to him would never be destroyed. Oh, no, never. But would even now have a deep, lasting life. Bruner says, that's the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The very truth about God, the very truth about God's purposes and plans. It's a single verse. It deserves its own paragraph in the gospel of John. And then Bruner unpacks it like this with its deep power and its great importance. He unpacks it like this. God, the greatest subject ever, so much the greatest extent ever, 
loved the greatest affection ever. The world, the greatest object ever. That he gave his one and only son the greatest gift ever. So that every single individual, whoever, the greatest opportunity ever, who is simply entrusting himself to him, the greatest commitment ever, would never be destroyed, the greatest rescue ever, but would even now have a deep and lasting life, the greatest promise ever. And how does this happen? How does it work? Well, it works in one way. God's greatest gift ever, the greatest subject God with the greatest extent, with the greatest affection, with the greatest gift for every individual, whoever, with the greatest rescue and the greatest promise ever. The way it works is simply entrusting our lives, leaning with our full weight into Jesus. And we have life, both now and forever. We do nothing but trust our lives to God who has done everything, and then we get on with the life that God intends toward the kingdom of God that's eternal life. I'm pretty convinced that all of us, all of us have a deep longing to come alive and then to be helpful. Come alive and be helpful. That's what the essence of the gospel is all about. Coming alive and being helpful so that life, eternal life, is experienced now and forever by everyone. May God's spirit and presence so touch our lives today, so touch our hearts, our community, our world today, that we can entrust our lives to God's care and come alive and be helpful to God in the bringing about of the peace and the justice and the hope and the reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. Life, eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you love us so well. Deepen our love and move us toward eternal life following Jesus. Amen.